Hello, and welcome to Dream Nation Love. I'm your host, Yulia. And today on the show, I'm joined by Speech. He is an American musician, producer, and writer. His work with a collective Arrested Development has earned him two Grammy Awards, but he also releases solo albums. And we're going to talk about his latest album called Expansion Part 1 today on the show. I've been playing it all around the house for the last few weeks. I really love it. I've been looking forward to it because he hasn't released music in the last 14 years. What's really neat is right now it's Expansion Part 1 and there are more parts coming out soon. The four songs that are on the album right now are really wonderful. Definitely, definitely, definitely go to Spotify and check it out. Along with creating music, he also creates movie soundtracks. Speech also recently launched his own podcast, and he has an award-winning film called 16 Bars, which focuses on the revolving door of the U.S. prison system. The film's pretty intense. I definitely recommend you watch it. He also produced a docuseries on YouTube called Hoodwink. And I come from a marketing background, so I really enjoyed watching Hoodwink. Series 1 and 2, Series 3 is coming. It talked about the 400-year-old white supremacist marketing campaign that's been manipulating the image of the black diaspora. Images are powerful, right? Words are powerful. And that's one of the reasons that I loved speaking with speech. He's conscious. He's been making conscious music. And on this podcast, we are coming together to amplify consciousness in the world and talk about music. This show could have gone on for like three hours. Speech and I can talk a lot. And I really enjoyed speaking with him. He has so many ideas and he's so brilliant. And I hope you enjoy it. Please share this episode with your friends. We're all here to amplify consciousness. And I don't know who's doing it better on this planet, aside from the rest of development and speech. Sit back and enjoy the show. Have a great day. so much for doing this podcast it's so wonderful to speak to you it's my pleasure to do it thank you for having me you know i sorry if my internet is slow i live in the country <laughs> and i've been trying to get better internet for years and so i'm sorry if it gets bad no actually same here i've been in vermont <laughs> okay you understand and i've been and I've been having the same problem. Like on Monday, I was trying to do a podcast and my internet completely went out. So yeah. I'm like, so we're just recording audio right now. So it's not okay. even video, okay. but I like good. to do videos. So like we can remain like human. I love that. I love it. Yeah. It's good to see people I'm talking to. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? There's something about getting internet to rural places too. It is so important because that's how information comes through. I agree. And third world countries. I mean, because that's the internet has become basically a, a nation in and of itself. You know, so many people that don't have internet basically aren't able to really participate. Yes, but everybody has a mobile phone. I think the statistics are like more people have a mobile phone than a toothbrush right now. That's true. I, I believe that. Yeah. And uh, it's wild. Like Facebook approached me for an interview like two years ago. They were trying to like hire me for something and we were talking and they were trying to hire me for like a healthcare department, which I have a lot of experience for, but I was like, I'm really interested in what you're doing in the internet because they're trying to bring it to third world countries. Uh -huh. But I steered the conversation to like, why aren't we focusing on the U S like, that's great. We're going into rural countries, but right. like, let's not forget about America. There are so many parts that still need so much. I agree. I totally agree. And it's like, let's start local and then let's go out because yeah. then we can help more people. And like so many people living in the U.S. have family abroad. Yeah, no doubt about that. I do agree not to forget about the U.S. And I think if we're going to adopt, which I have my issues with the Internet being sort of our sole way of doing so many things, whether it's communication, saving data, so on and so forth. I have my issues with that in general. But if we're going to do that, and I really have no say in it, <laughs> I think it needs to be throughout the world so that the world could participate. But yet I do agree with you that it also has to include the rest of the United States, like where I'm at and where you're at right now. I'm just like, I'm like, why? Why is it so hard? Like, it, get cables, like dig cables. Like people yeah. are talking about no jobs. Sorry, I can go on about this. I can derail. And go <laughs> no, no, no problem. I love it's a conversation. Yeah. Because it's access to information and you have right. access to information. And if you don't have that, then all you have is the local news station, which are getting bought up by like, Huge I can go on. And yes. Yes. Yeah. Like I've been tooting my horn about like Sinclair buying up local networks and like pumping in 
misinformation, basically. Yeah. Oh my God. I love this. I love this. I can talk about this forever, but access to information and access to consciousness. And I love that we started talking about consciousness because this is why I approached you for the podcast because you've been making conscious music for, is it, has it been over like 32 years? Yeah, I think since 1987, my music started to turn conscious. And so, yeah, it's been quite a while, you know, I don't know how long that is now. I guess that's 23 years or 30, 30, I don't know. I'm I'm lost. I think I I did the math. I did Google then I was like, okay, 87 years. I think it's like 32 years, which is really surreal. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I still feel like I'm 17. (laughs) I I feel like this whole getting old thing is such a like culture shock to your brain. It's like, it all happened so fast. And I, it's like my kids are, my oldest son is 26 and my daughter's 23. So I realized I can't be young because they're like, they're getting <laughs> up there. So I know I got to be old, but I don't feel like it. Yeah. But it's so good because you have like new perspectives in the family, you know, like kids keep you so young. They do. I love it. My son is an artist. My daughter's an artist. They keep me extremely young and they also make me feel out of touch. It's both. I mean, <laughs> You have children other than the one inside your stomach now? No, not yet. You know, I've been working my whole entire life. I've been working in these like sweatshop ad agencies. Wow. I've just created a career and I was working on my career and then like nothing seemed like I should have a family. I was like, oh, this is what I do. I'm like in the mode, you know, you kind of get brainwashed too. You're like, you're like, you're in a zone. And before you know it, the years pass so fast. Like, it's like, oh my God, you look up, I've been here 10 years or I've been here, whatever, you know? Yeah. And then I have a wonderful partner. We've been together for four years and we're like, let's just do it. Like he's 45, I'm 41. And we were like, oh my God, oh my God, we're getting old and we need, we need like somebody to carry the torch. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Congratulations on that. Thanks. We're excited. It's a little girl. We're so, we're so still. Oh, that's fantastic. Did, did he want a boy or did you want a boy? You know, I, I was, I just want a, a healthy child and Did I was that, like, we'll probably try for a second one. I thought it would be a boy. I, I don't know, but she's, she's kicking. She's really active. So I know she's going to be, she's, she's like a little MMA fighter in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. But when you were a child, like when you were a little kid, what was your dream as a kid? Well, I had a lot of dreams as you can imagine. Kids have a ton of different dreams, but one of my dreams was to be like the Jackson Five. I wanted to be Michael Jackson. I wanted to sing. I wanted to dance. And I wanted to have a huge afro. So now I got dread. So I'm close, but I don't have a I don't have an afro. And um I used to put on my mother's afro wigs when I was five. And I used to perform for the neighbors in the backyard. I used to charge them a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You're a businessman from the get-go. I was a businessman, baby. I was a mogul. <laughs> JV in I the love bank. it. <laughs> but you know, that's how it starts. And I feel like everything starts when we're little. You yeah. know, like that seed and that drive and, and everything that we have yeah. is within us. Like, like whatever that thing is in my belly right now, she already knows what she's going to do. I agree with that. Yeah. I you know, like souls definitely already have a particular purpose and something they're supposed to bring to this world. Yeah. yeah. I was listening to your TEDx talk too. And it was, uh, you were talking secret about cereal. the, yeah, the secret serial number. And I want to get to that later on in the show too, but I love that you were just performing. I love that you were doing it for family, right? You have to get an audience. So you, you, you just approach like neighbors and family. You're like, this is what I'm going to like practice my skills on. It was total arrogance on my part, as you know, at five or six years old. And, you know, I realize now that I'm an adult and kids who perform, you know, at least for me, I always hate it because I'm just like, they're not really that good, but it's cute as ever. And so I'm watching this. And then for me, at least, if they do a long performance, it's torturous because, you you know, they're not really doing a great <laughs> job, but you still got to stay there to to make sure you don't discourage them. So I'm sure I was close to that when I was doing all of this, but. That was my dream. So I'm glad people, you know, supported it. Yeah. I love it. Well, you know, with touring and stuff and growing a fan base, you kind of create a family, right? You you oh, kind yeah. of create like an extended family because all these people are just so passionate about your music and you, and you kind of like build this whole entire global family. And I was also wanted to talk to you about touring and how the pandemic like stopped all touring, which is, which is really hard for everyone. And also touring abroad, you know, like U.S. U.S. is also like so small, but as a musician, you go everywhere. And I think your music is big in Japan, too. And I was reading about that. Yeah. And how amazing it is to have a huge following in a country that doesn't speak the same language, but yet they sing in the same words and they understand it. And they're so passionate. 
Yeah, it's an amazing feeling. I'll, I'll address the Japan part first. Japan was a, a huge surprise to me because my eyes weren't set on Japan at all as a musician. And we went there in 94 with the rest of development. And it was such a successful tour. And then we broke up in 95 and I started a solo career and it sucked in the United States. I sold 15,000 units in the United States, which is deplorable compared to the 4 million albums that Arrested Development sold. So I was pretty depressed. And all of a sudden I looked at the charts in Japan and I was looking down in the 80s and the 90s to see if I was even in the top 100. And I looked up to just see who was number one and who was it? It was me. So I was like, oh my gosh, I got a number one record in Japan. And I told my manager at the time, let's go tour in Japan. And that's what we did. And it's been a huge market for me ever since. I've done five top 10 albums there. I've had number one hits there. I've really big tours there as a solo artist. And when Arrested Development got back together in 2000, we did well there too. We had huge album deals there and really huge tours there. So it became basically my life vest for time and music when I didn't know if I was going to be able to sustain. And I love the Japanese people, the culture, and the language is totally different, but they're studiers of music and they love Western culture and they love my music, I believe, because of the melody and the melodic nature of what I do. And so they study the lyrics. They go look them up, they translate them into Japanese, and then they try to understand what I'm saying. And that type of studying and passion for fans is what every artist wants. And I, I've been extremely blessed to have that kind of fan base. And that's just one of our foreign markets. And then as far as touring, with the coronavirus, it it totally, just like everybody, it took the wind out of our sails. You know, we had a Dubai tour lined up. We had about 30 to 20 dates throughout Europe lined up. We had numerous shows in the United States lined up, Canada lined up, and all of them, of course, were canceled. And so it's a little scary because, as most artists that you talk to might tell you, most of our money comes from touring. Yeah. So when you're not able to tour, you know, it's a very hard way to make ends meet and all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's totally stopped our touring revenue. Yeah, because you also, you know, it's not just the artists, too. You also have a crew. So you have crews and you have families and it's a big network. And it's just surreal. I don't think like anybody was expecting this. And and I think we're all no expecting yeah, this. Yeah. And I think we're all just kind of dealing with it. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a time to like just pivot and amplify. Okay, we can't be there in person, but like maybe we amplify our, our sounds, maybe we amplify our voices and we create exactly. a community online. If the internet holds up. <laughs> If the internet holds up. It's, I love that word, amplify. I went to your website, which I really love, by the way. Thank you. I was inspired by the color and the, the vibrance of your website. And uh, I love the word amplify. You all use that word a lot. And I love that word. I thought that was just a great word. It's something I've used before, but I've always loved the meaning of it. And especially amplifying positivity and things that are productive in this world. I just think that that's awesome. So, yeah. Well, you know, this. thank you so much. It's it's such an honor to hear that from you because I, I just respect your work so much. You know, I think I think I was like 12. I, I immigrated from Russia and I first okay. heard Arrested Development, I think, when I was 12. And of course, okay. the crazy part is that like when I was in Russia, all I knew about America was Michael Jackson and Mickey Mouse. Like I was moonwalking as a kid and I was like, I'm going to be somewhere close to Michael Jackson. Like that is... That was like, that was all I knew. Like my parents were like, we're, we're moving. And I was like, okay. And I was like, I'll, I'll be close to Michael Jackson and, and Mickey Mouse. Right, is, exactly. Like Michael Jackson is president. Mickey Mouse is like vice president. I'm eight years old. Like, exactly. So I was really into music and uh, it's surreal. It's surreal because even as a kid, you know, like the consciousness sets in and I was really into music. But then when I was 12 years old, I, I heard Arrested Development on MTV and I was like, what is this? Like, it just resonates with you, right? You're like, you're like, people are talking about intellectual things. And it's not like, it's just, it's just not like pop. And it was also like a way for me to kind of understand African American culture, too. Because wow. when I moved, you know, we we're in a Russian community, but we we're living next to the African American community, but we we're still segregated. And there's a lot right. of curiosity. And then I didn't even speak the language. So I can't even communicate 
you know, like I'm, I'm playing with my next door neighbor and like, I can't talk to her and I'm like, hi. And like, right. we'll jump rope, but like, I can't right. have a conversation. Yeah. So what city did you all move to when you first came to the United States? We moved to New Haven, Connecticut, which is also called gun waving New Haven. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Come on, baby. <laughs> so it's a really, wow. it's a really interesting intersection to just be an immigrant and also be white and also be in this African American culture and also see that the culture is just so diverse. It is. It is. You know, it's a really wonderful little town because it's right next to Yale. So you have a lot of like speakers come through. You have a lot of opportunities that are interesting for just intellectual stuff, just for hearing things. Yeah. And it like gave me like just an understanding of diversity for the first time. So I was living in New Haven and then I think I moved like when I was like 10. So it took me about two years to speak English. And at 12, like I started to understand words and I saw arrested development and i was like i was obsessed i bought the album and i just played it over and 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 over again and then that led me to discover krs1 and it led me to discover de la soul and then it just led me down like a whole other music avenue that i i just didn't know because you know it's like you only get mtv and you see what's only on mtv and unless you have like a cool older brother who is like hey listen to this you don't have any information where now anybody can download anything at any time and there's so much of it it's so true and and this brings me to the next question which leads me to another question that i want to ask which is when did you know that you wanted to create conscious hip-hop this is a question from isa nalia s on twitter well i knew when i heard public enemy and chuck d was talking about chesamard and farrakhan and the panthers and and i was like who are these people and it's so funny because my mom and dad were both activists in the civil rights movement but they never taught me about the black panthers or minister lewis farrakhan or chesamard and so i was like who are these people so i started getting curious and then i started realizing that there was a whole history of rebellion of um consciousness about black culture and black reality that i was i was not privy to and that in all my education being probably 18 by then, 19, none of this was taught to me. And so I felt the conspiracy of, wow, there's a whole world about Black consciousness that is, that's basically kept back from not only Black people, but from white people and everyone else in between. So I was really compelled to learn more. I started picking up a ton of books, started reading a lot, started listening to a lot of speeches. And it started to raise my awareness. But then when I got more aware, I realized that my mom and dad were both on that tip, but they just were trying to protect me. You know, being black in America is a duality because there's this need to survive and to thrive in America. But in truth, America has a disdain for consciousness of blacks from a historical perspective, whether it be Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where literally the most rich black town in the United States was bombed and shot and people were killed and shops were burned. Whether you look at that or whether you look at the Black Panthers, who, of course, many of them were bombed in their homes and killed. Many of others were put in prison. And then the MOVE organization of Philadelphia, I mean, there's so many different examples. MOVE organization was one of the, and you probably may not know about this, but another Black organization who was practicing their Second Amendment with guns and growing natural foods and plants. And anyway, long story short, they also were against the mainstream viewpoint of Black people within this system, and they were striving to fight for justice. And they were literally bombed in the middle of Philadelphia city blocks. Um, Women, men, and children were bombed and killed. These are parts of American history that you don't know. So you grow up in, in Black life with this duality, knowing that you love America for all the great things that America brings. And at the same time, there's another side of America that unfortunately most Americans don't learn too much about. And you have to live this dual reality of America sort of hates me and America, you know, sort of embraces me. And you have to try to navigate that. So my mom was doing that with her kids. You know, she named me Todd Thomas and my brother Terrence Nolan Thomas. 
in order for our names to look right on job applications in the future. If we had a black name or maybe an African name, those things were guaranteed to make us um, less applicable to various jobs and opportunities. So these are the types of things that I mean by duality. And my mother and father had to live that. So there was this consciousness that they had and they knew about from their days in the 60s, 40s, 50s, but they didn't want to teach us because they didn't want, they were hoping that America would do better and would allow us to strive and thrive as Black people in this country. And um, they didn't want us to sort of have this consciousness that would pretty much entail our persecution. So that was that was the plight of, of my parents. So yeah, that's when I became conscious, probably around 18, 19 years old, fresh out of high school. And like many people, you know, when you go to college, you start learning things that you hadn't learned before. I had great professors that were, I studied Black history and they were teaching some really profound truths about American history that I just didn't know. You know, I was just actually thinking about the opening scene of The Watchmen, too, because I think it opened up on the bombing. And did, of Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Tulsa, yeah. Oklahoma, and that show was so incredible, too. And and I think slowly, like, you know, by having conversations like this, by having shows like The Watchmen, and just by amplifying the messages and getting that conversation out, because not everybody seeks information. That's just, no, you know, and, and if you don't seek it, you're not going to find it. That's true. And one add to that is I, I would hope that as we study American history, that we won't have to seek this information. It's a very huge part of American history. As we can see, it's one of the root issues that keep rearing its ugly head in American society over and over again. So we have to address it and have to be educated on it. Yeah, well, you know, the, I don't know how, how, how old America is. It's like barely 400 years old. You know, if that, it might be around somewhere in 200. It might you know, be, I was going like to say 200, that. but I was like, it can't be. But it might be even 200. And our history is just so, so short and so violent, too. And and, and I think a lot of the violence is kept out of history books and everything is like paved very rosy and a colonial point of view. Very true. Reality of slavery in most history books last about two to three pages. Yes. And this is hundreds and hundreds of years of American history. It is. It's true. And that's how America was built. And then, you know, you start talking about culture and in a weird way, American culture is built off African-American people as well. So that's like the whole entire different section too. I was on your YouTube channel and I was watching the, I don't even want to say it, but it's called the Unfactory. Unfactory. Yeah, the Hoodwink. You can call hoodwink. it Hoodwink I'll call, too. It, I'll call it Hoodwink. Hoodwink, the nigga factory, and yeah, Hoodwink is fine. And it was such a great series and I was waiting for series three and I couldn't find it anywhere. I'm like, a series three? You know, I was about to finish it and then COVID-19 struck and there you go. It's hard. <laughs> no, it's hard. COVID, it just put life on hold. It's been so weird. I wanted to talk to you about, you know, stemming from the consciousness question, you know, how do you make consciousness and conscious music sticky and permanent? You know, we talk about it in advertising, like, how do you make something stick? I was reading another interview with you, I forget where you were talking about making consciousness sticky. And I was also watching your your videos. I was watching Hoodwink and I was waiting for series three. I was like, where's episode three? And I think you mentioned the stickiness in there as well, right? Like how, how come in our culture and in music, like negative images and images of materialism and stuff that isn't like life, right? It's just, it's theater. A lot of it is just theater and a lot of it is egos and a lot of it is not grounded in, in consciousness. How come that becomes sticky with people, but like consciousness and like, and and social impact and social change and all that stuff like that just kind of goes into one ear and out the other like arrested development can have a few songs on the radio and they can blow up but i wonder how many people it actually impacts and, and it leads them to like find a different avenue for for their life yeah i think that controlling the medium of entertainment is so important you know we've lost control over it a long time ago, there was a law that was passed in 1996. I think it's called the Telecommunications Act, I believe. And it was signed in by President Bill Clinton. And at that time, he allowed for big conglomerates that we talked about earlier in our conversation. It allowed for these huge conglomerates and these corporations to buy up all of the various news mediums or information mediums in every city. So 
huge corporations were able to buy up the local radio station, but they also could own the newspaper and they could also own the video channels that were doing the music videos and, and the news and so on and so forth. So once you have less and less people controlling the flow of information, it's so much easier to keep consciousness out of the, the realm of pop culture, like what we used to enjoy in the 90s with Arrested Development or Nirvana, our ex-clan to Tribe Called Quest, De La, you know, Public Enemy, Hammer. I mean, it was, there was a, such a, a, an array of expression in the 90s, in the late 80s. And if you notice in the 90s, like mid-90s, 95, 96 and on out, in hip-hop in particular, it became very much about private jets and drug dealing and huge gold chains and, and, you know, killing people. And there was a very narrow sort of top subject matter that people could address. And it got more and more narrow as time would go on. Like probably the last group that was able to be similar to Arrested Development was the Fugees. And after the Fugees and Lauren Hill's huge success with Miseducation, I mean, after that, it was really pretty much a done deal. You have some exceptions like uh, Kendrick Lamar today or J. Cole or who cracked through the mainstream. I mean, you have many exceptions on the underground. I'm not really addressing the underground of hip hop. Like you said earlier, there's so much you can go research. But from a mainstream perspective, it's, it's, it's rare. It's, it's very rare that you're going to have consciousness like we used to have in the early 90s and the late 80s. In my opinion, to make it sticky, we have to start controlling the flow of entertainment. And one of the beautiful things that we used to be able to do and that we really can't do too much anymore is we used to be able to break records in small towns like uh, New Haven, Connecticut, you know, or uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is where I'm from. And people like George in Chicago, he's a record store owner in Chicago. He was able to help break Arrested Development for the entire nation. And nowadays, because of the conglomerates owning these radio stations and these record stores, and well, there is no record stores, but these radio stations <laughs> and these television stations and, and streaming services, it's really one or two people that's controlling the, the nation's music from big main offices in, in one central location. Somewhere in Texas is controlling the playlist for all of the rest of America. I did some research on it, and the truth is there's about 230 people that decide basically all the stuff we're going to digest within mainstream media, whether it's music, news, or anything else. About 230 people in a nation that has, I don't know, 240 wow. million people. I'm not sure how many people. Wow, are in that's pretty amazing. It's pretty uh, amazing. That's, it's so surreal, right? It's like, do they have meetings? Do they have boardrooms? Like, what is approved? Like, what? And who decides? Who, who's, the, who's the tastemaker? In my opinion, I think that it's less what they yeah. decide to put out and more what they don't want to put out. I think that their opinion is, look, for instance, in black music, it has been reduced to primarily drug dealing, strip clubs, gross materialism. I mean, everyone likes nice things. I like nice things. I like to go to nice restaurants, but gross materialism and a lot of violence. And the truth is they allow that, but they would not allow, for instance, a lot of talk of consciousness and changing societal rules and norms, things of this nature. They just don't like that. And I think the materialism, the violence, which I think they see it as entertainment, but unfortunately for Blacks, it's not just entertainment. We really are actually dying. I don't know another genre of music where the stars of that genre are literally getting mm -hmm. shot down in the middle of the street, broad daylight. Yes. Thank you. Nipsey Hussle. That was really sad. Nipsey Hussle. That was so heartbreaking. Tupac. He's just one of the latest. I mean, these exactly XXX Tatashian. I mean, so many people shot down in the middle of the street. This is unheard of. In other and then he gets, he gets to this level. And, <laughs> Six, um, nine, and you're like, what is going on? He's, he, and he's the product of all of that. He's the Tekashi product Six, of like nine. brainwashing yeah, yeah. and just wanting to be it. And it's like a theater for him. And then it becomes real life. Exactly. And then and he is, what is real? And it's a kid. Exactly. It's a kid at the end of the day. He's a kid. But I, I think it's so interesting too, like 
going back to what you said in the 90s, like we had so much diversity in the 90s. And I don't know, maybe it's just me getting older, but I feel like, yes, we have diversity, but it's getting more niche and it's not overflowing into the same stuff because we had less channels in the 90s. Some more families would gather around and we would watch Martin. We would watch In Living Color. We would watch Girlfriends. And there were all these shows. But now everything is just so niche. So people don't necessarily get to see anything. That's correct. It's it's like you're going to watch maybe American Idol, maybe yeah. I whatever's on there. Yeah, I agree. Everything is more niche. It's um, obviously have it your own way. And because of that, we're not really cross-collateralizing the different ideas and expression. You know, America has this term, the melting pot. And I think that it's less melted now and it's <laughs> a lot more solidified. Yeah. There's different, you know, varying views. It's kind of like chunky sort of soup. Their own it's like... More often. It's chunky soup. It's kind of like living in New York like too. That. It's yeah. like, like I've lived in New York for the last 15 years and, and kind of like yeah. living in New Haven too. Like if you are out there and if you seek things and if you like music, right, music brings different people together. That's, that's automatic. Like music is the great uniter. So, so if you go to music shows, if you go to cultural events, you're going to meet a lot of different people, but but if you don't, if you just, you know, if you're trying to survive, you're just trying to go to your job and trying to go home and get some sleep and take care of your family. Like there's no room for ideas. It's just, it's just getting to the point. That's right. And those are the people that are going to be the most affected because they're going to listen to the radio. They're going to watch TV when they get a chance. And unfortunately, many of them will even put their kids in front of a TV or a computer screen or whatever, or a phone screen because they just don't have time. So they're not able to go research stuff on their own. And that creates a very huge separation of information. Those of us that have maybe some quality time can do some more research and find out more truth. But those that don't, they're going to be pretty much sort of cows led in particular direction by what mainstream um, media and outlets tell you. And these screens, we just become like zombies. Like we just begin scrolling instagram with no no intention right this is consciousness consciousness is intention right so every time you open something and you do something you hope it's a conscious action and i I try to apply this in my life but like i get sucked into like an instagram hole every once in a while too and 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 it just turns you into a zombie sometimes you're like why you're like i i'm like okay i just like spent like two hours on like tiktok and i was like how did this happen that was what I was referring to earlier when I said I have my feelings about the internet being such a necessary tool, but I love these kind of conversations with you. Would I have met you before? No, I probably wouldn't. Would we be talking this morning? Probably not. So I think the internet has its benefits. And at the same time, there is a scary aspect of it that controls the flow of information and it many times just makes us simply zombies who are just, we're not necessarily creating any real thought. We're just taking in whatever someone feeds us. And so that's the downside of it. There's a book that I read a long time ago called The Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television. If you never read it, it's a great book. My good friend Shinjirai from a group called The Spooks told me about it. And I read it because I just love the title and I never thought about eliminating television. And now television is a lot less important than internet, but it holds some of the same principles about, I think it could apply to, to the internet too, but it's an interesting thing. Great book for people to read. I'll take it up. I'll put it in the notes as well. I didn't have a TV in New York for about eight years and I was so productive. And then, uh, and then <laughs> I moved in with my man and he's there got a go. TV and I'm like a moth to a flame. Like I, I have to like consciously like make sure my attention is focused on whatever I'm doing because <laughs> yeah. whatever's on, I'll just like be like, what is it? Like, it's just... Because it's noise and and, and light right, and, exactly. and I'm yeah. like a moth to a flame. But this is really lovely because this brings totally. me to I, your yeah. new album. So this is the first album you released in 14 years. And then you're also doing it in parts. Yeah, actually, uh, my solo album is called Expansion. And more than anything at this time period of my life and the people that I worked with on this album, we all felt like this is a time for expansion for us. I mean, some of the producers I worked with, they were really starting their families like you are. And they were also just getting dreams to come true that they had been hoping for for years. And it's been the same for me. And even with COVID-19 happening, I mean, it's been still a time of expansion in many ways. And so 
I titled the record Expansion, and I released four songs from it, the first four songs off this complete album, and I called it Expansion Part One. And I'm really proud of the record. It's a beautiful record. It's very musical. It has layers of sort of contemporary sound, but it also has what I feel is my sound and what I bring to the table. And I have some really fun guests on it that I like working with. So it was a great project and I'll be releasing the rest of it in the coming month. And then I'm working on a new Arrested Development record too. I'm really excited about the tentative title is called Don't Fight Your Demons. It's a wonderful record. It's more political than my solo record expansion is, but it's a it's it's I think it's a powerful piece of work. I'm so excited for it. It's going to be so exciting. Yeah, you personally have not put out any work in about 14 years too. And uh, and that's a long time, but sometimes you need that time to just like relax cuz you've just been creating and creating and creating and creating. And it's so exhausting to create sometimes cuz it's true. like it's giving out your energy. No doubt about it. I agree. And and a lot of times creation is best formed when you have life to live and when you're able to express whatever you've actually lived as opposed to just creating for the sake of it. Yeah. Yeah. You need life experiences, exactly. right? Like you need content, you need, you need ideas, you need to have, you need a life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I agree. You know, I was going to ask you since you've been making music professionally for 32 years, like what is the biggest change in the industry that you've noticed? I know this is like a really vague, it's a big net, Yeah, you know, like I know we touched upon the music becoming more funnel like, Yeah, you know, with Spotify, there are no album covers that buys, that just drives me crazy. Like I just want to have a record room for, for the baby. So the baby can just like look at records and read the notes and like soak in, soak in the music. I think the biggest change to me is the art has been cheapened. In every way. So the process of recording has been cheapened to being able to do it digitally, which is in and of itself, it has its, its pluses. But we used to work as a team to create an album and an album used to take a lot of different experts that would come together and work on one project. And it was a slower process. And in that slower process, there was more conscious thought put into the music. Whereas now I can make an entire record on my laptop in my bedroom. As I said, that has its pluses, but the minus is that I could do it by myself and I can release that record by myself. It doesn't take as much collaboration, collaboration of talents, collaboration of viewpoints, Mm -hmm. collaboration of just letting something marinate. It's like food or a good steak. Letting it marinate is something important. And so everything is not meant to be fast. Sometimes marination brings better flavor, better outcome. And I think that's the same with music. And then what you just said, we get our music on, most people do, streaming services, and they have the cover, and it's probably about an inch tall and an inch wide, and there's no credits, and there's no back cover, there's no inside cover, there's no mystery or wonderment about the process. There's no liner notes most of the time. And so it's just a different experience all the way around. And I think people are the ones that suffer, the fans, because many generations won't even know that there was such a thing. But it was an amazing and mysterious and and wonderful time to be able to pull a record out of his sleeve and to be able to read the credits and just listen to this record on your turntable and just stare at the artwork and just get lost in whatever that artist was trying to tell you. Well, it's about making time for music, right? Now it's like, now music is just like a soundtrack to whatever you're doing. Okay, you're going for a run, you're going grocery shopping, which creates a different experience too. Like, there's nothing like turning on music and walking around a city. You know, you get lost, but there's something about that intention. That like, what What mood do I want to create? What consciousness do I want to amplify? And there's just so much out of it. Like as a kid, I used to be so into music and I I love music, but I find it as an adult, it's really hard to keep on top of music. There's so many new artists. Yeah. There are just so many new artists and there's just so much and you don't know what's good. And then like when we were little, like we dug in the crates, right? Like we would go to a record store and we would have like friends telling us what's good. And like, you just had this funnel of, really great music coming to you and and now it's just so 
much. And, and, and a lot of it is not that good. I will just say it. I agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> and it, it's just, you know, just because a lot more people can make music doesn't mean they can make music. <laughs> That's correct. That's right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. There used to be almost like a, a hierarchy of talent because back in the day, more than likely you had to get signed to a label. But before you were even signed to a label, you likely were touring locally or doing shows locally. You were getting connected with the best bass player you could find, the best guitar player, the best drummer, or in hip hop's sake, the best DJ, the best rappers. And that alone took a lot of cutting off the fat going back to the steak analogy, cutting off the fat and just getting the lean meat. What's the best part of this this conglomeration that we're about to do or this collaborative effort that we're about to do? And then you get to a label and similar to like professional sports teams, you know, only the best would get chosen in a sense. And everyone had incentive to try to be the best. You wanted to be the best band in town. I mean, Beatles often said 10,000 hours of rehearsal, you know, that was what was the expectation back in the day. And now you don't have to have any of that. I mean, you could have never practiced in your life and you can probably create a viral hit, you know, yeah. just on accident. <laughs> well, what I love about the Beatles story too, is that they got good because they got to play at like bars for free beer. And there were also like That's right. red light districts. That's right. So they were incentivized, you know, just to play like not for the fame, just to play. Cause they're like beer. Cool. And that's how you get good. You put in the 10,000 hours and then you become the Beatles. You become the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just had this pop into my head as I, as I was speaking to you right now, we're living in such a political time, right? It's like, we have black lives matter. We've got COVID. We have everybody just, sitting at home and just scrolling through the Instagram and becoming conscious, actually, you know, people are standing up for everything, but, but I'm looking at the music and I'm like, where's the conscious music? Like yeah. where you had Marvin Gaye's, where's the love? Then you had black eyed peas too. You had, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. but like, where is, where is any kind of conscious music, love or, you know, punk rock or, or hip hop? Where's, where's public enemy, you yeah. know, like, I agree with you. And the the music exists, but it's underground. And unfortunately, it's kept underground. That's what my documentary Hoodwinked talks about a lot, especially part two. It's kept underground. Public Enemy just released a brand new album this year. And a friend of mine named Jahi, who's also from Public Enemy, released a new album. I released a record. You know, so many others have released really great music. A brother named Toby, a, a hip hop artist, released Conscious Music. And unfortunately, from a mainstream perspective, it's just hard pressed to get the mainstream press to really cover it with the same fervor that they'll cover the new Nicki Minaj record or the new Meg Thee Stallion record or the new, you know, whatever. So I think that's one of the issues with where's the consciousness. I, I wrote a song called Bloody, and it's based off the Bible concept of your hands being bloody, you know, if you don't do anything for your brother, it's based off the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis. And the whole point is basically, you know, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer should be yes, we all should be each other's keeper and, and sort of get this information out there and help each other out to become more conscientious. And the song said, you know, that basically in the entertainment industry, a lot of people's hands are bloody for not allowing or even helping conscious music and conscious ideas to get out there. Like back in the day with a, you know, Marvin Gaye, um, what's going on, for instance, which was pivotal during the sixties, you know, even be the Beatles, for instance, revolution and other songs. So, yeah. It's amazing too, because at the end it's like, who controls it? The agents and the managers and the agents and the managers are sometimes into it for the money. They're not artists. That's right. So, so it's like the artists are always like, we're creating music and we're changing culture, but then like we're, we're controlled. We're controlled. Very much so. And especially on a mainstream level, I do like the internet for this reason that many artists who are conscious can put out music. Just unfortunately, there's so much data and we, we addressed this a second ago. There's so much data that discovery still uh, unfortunately ends up being for the rich. Most platforms do allow people to pay for discovery, meaning you're going to be on the front page of that streaming service. You're going to be 
the album suggested, or you're going to be in that really popular playlist on a particular streaming service. That stuff is usually reserved for record labels who basically have a lot more money than an average independent artist does. You know, there's still some things we got to overcome, but artists can at least create the music. And I, I always encourage artists to do that. Amplify positive thoughts, to use the term you guys use a lot, amplify the positive thoughts and the intentional thoughts and get those out there. So I hope so. I I hope, I hope, <laughs> I think earth is a conscious planet. And I think like all the noise and all the negative vibes are just louder. That's right. I agree. And, and I'm like, well, we'll just become louder. Like we'll just amplify each other. Like that's it. If it's a shouting match, like let's just shout louder. This question comes from Twitter again. It's from Ebony Bree. Capel and she's wondering out of all your tracks that you've ever written what's your favorite uh, at the end of the day I would have you know I love a lot of my music right because I write it <laughs> so it all comes from a very special place every song comes from someplace really sincere and really deep well not every song most songs come from a place that's really sincere and deep for me so you know it's hard but the best song for me is still going to be Tennessee because it has the most significance that stuck with me throughout my life. And I wrote that song based on the death of my grandmother, who was so instrumental in who I am. And she used to raise me through um, the summertime months in rural Tennessee, a small town called Glimp, Tennessee. And she just meant the world to me. And, and the things that she exposed me to in that rural town really made me the man that I am. So she passed away. And then the same week, my brother, Terry, who was only 29 at the time, passed away. And uh, the last place I saw both of them was in Tennessee. And so that song, being what it is, was already going to make it my most important song. But then the fact that it also was the first Arrested Development song ever, and the, the third fact that it won a Grammy, and the fourth fact that it just did well. I mean, people really celebrated the music. All of those things put together makes that song my favorite. It's a beautiful song. And it's just, it's such like a plea for happiness. I agree with that. You know, that so many people I think can identify it, whether they're going through something different, but just take me to that like special place, you know, yeah. about being in that happy place. And, um, and everything is a dream, right? Exactly right. And that, that's my last verse on that song. You know, it was all a dream about Tennessee and, mm -hmm. Yeah, everything is a dream. At the end of the day, we are um, living this, you know, this dream. <laughs> we are, right? And I call my podcast Dream Nation because I think we have to really understand that dreams are real. I think yeah. dreams are relegated to like the obscure part of the world or like to to the childish part, right? Only kids That's can right. have dreams. But but I think dreams are so powerful. And dreams, dreams brought about Tennessee. Dreams brought about... Um, you creating music and yeah. uh, dreams, dreams brought about my podcast and dreams brought about this conversation. That's exactly right. Dreams fuel this planet to me. Dreams are intentions. They are intentions. What's your dream as an adult? For me, I love to live in a few different countries and have a big impact on the lives of people. There's a phrase by a small South African boy that, that moved my life and gave me a lot more intention. And he said, do what you can with what you have, with the people around you. And for me, that simplified purpose. Do whatever I can with the people around me and with what I have. And I try to live that. And there's some places that I've been in my life that the people there moved me deeply and I would like to go back. And so those are some of my dreams, like to be with those people, to be able to help and do the things that I can with those people around me. I love it. So if COVID was over and if you had like any wish that could come true, where would be the first place that you'd go to? Wow. That's a great question. Isn't it? My wife and I are celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. So I would want to go to Bahamas because it's where we conceived our first son. A good friend of mine, Lenny Kravitz brought us to Eleuthera and I would want to take her to Eleuthera and walk some of the same paths that we walked when we were young kids, you know, first meeting pretty much. And so, yeah, Bahamas would be my first stop. That's so beautiful. I love that. There's something about 
bringing the kids back and like being like, Hey, this was, this was happening. This was our dream before you were here. And now you're That's here. Right. That's right. Kids are a little dream, right? You're just like, I'm no dreaming a little it. person. <laughs> no doubt about it. That is, that is the manifestation of dreams. Yeah. I love it. Well, I have a feeling it's going to happen. It's going to take maybe a little bit of time, but like, oh, I hope we're out of the woods, uh, out of COVID soon. If people, you know, wear masks and if people are conscious and are considerate to each other, which shouldn't be that hard, right? Like, you know, I think I could put on a mask. I think I could pull it off. It's, it's the simplest of things. And it's like, simplest it's like, it's, it's like the first test of like consciousness on the planet. Like, can you care for another human being? If it means like doing something you don't want to do. Yeah. And something pretty simple too. I mean, it's not like, you know, pulling out an eye ball. It's like, just <laughs> put on a mask, you know, wash your hands. You know, wash your hands. Yeah, wash your hands. Little, you know, stay a mask. little bit from everybody if you can and just keep moving, you know. <laughs> it's insane. But thank you so much for putting out amazing music. I'm super excited for um, the next part of Expansion. I've been humming that track off of the album. It's, uh, oh my gosh, it's the second track. Oh, okay. I had it in my head for like a whole week. And of course, when I'm talking about it, I can't remember. Maybe it's way down here. Yes, it's way down here. Yeah, And it, it's just such a happy song. It just talks about happiness and it talks about just being in your happy place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to me, it's a song about what we've been talking about today, which is, you know, shout louder, you know, pull off your dreams. I think, I think the truth is most of this record is about, about that at the end of the day. Each song approaches it from a different direction. But yeah. You know? Yeah, it's about being in a higher place, right? It's about how I'm trying to think of the lyrics. I've had it in my head. I, baby, brain, baby brain is real, and I'm just going <laughs> to give it up. Like, I can't remember anything, and I'm just like, okay, this like this is how it's going to be for a little bit, and I'm yeah, not going to fight wow. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But it's the most life-changing, transformative time in your in your recent history. It's going to be amazing for you and your, your mate. And it's, 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 I know. And she's going to grow up on Arrested Development albums, which is going to be amazing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's a real cool thing right there. It's really cool, right? Well, thank you so much. I've taken up like an hour of your time, and I'm so grateful that you called, and we had this amazing conversation. I've and, yeah, actually stopped doing interviews, you know, in general. And when I saw this one, and a few, there's literally been a few interviews out of, you know, tens of them that I decided to do. And this was one of them. So thank you so much. That means so much to me. You know, I try to put together a community of like really conscious people through dream nation too. Cause I hope that like together we can really create like a dream dream nation and we can amplify each other's work and just, and just get all the positive frequencies out there. And, um, I hope you have a wonderful day. Congratulations on your anniversary. Thank <laughs> That's you. a great Thank number. You. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Thank you so much. That's all I can say. I'm just super, super grateful. Thank you for your music and thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. You have a great day and congratulations again. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Peace. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast. It's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love. Share it with your friends. Have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.